Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. In this episode, what is happening in Iran? We look into the death of Iranian woman Masa Almini and find out why it's causing so much anger in Iran and around the world. Deadly protests have erupted in Iran following the suspicious death of a young woman in police custody. Protests spreading now to some 80 Iranian cities and around the globe. That last voice you heard there is British singer Youngblood. Now, he was firing up about Masa Almini's death at a gig over the weekend. Justin Bieber's also posted about her in the last week, and a number of other international celebrities have added their voices. It's now two weeks since the 22-year-old woman was arrested for allegedly not wearing her hijab properly, and three days later, she was dead. Now, since then, there's been waves of deadly protests... The jabs have been burnt on the streets and the Iranian government have brought in internet blackouts. So, we'll find out why this death is having such a big impact in our briefing right after we bring you today's headlines with Rihanna Patrick. It is Friday the 30th of September. Mandatory COVID isolation could be scrapped when National Cabinet meets today. Both the New South Wales and Tasmanian Premiers are pushing for the change and they want COVID to be treated like anything else. You stay home if you're sick. That is symptomatic. We need to get to the point where we move away from public health orders and we get to a point whereby if you're sick, you stay at home and if you're not sick, you get out and about and enjoy life. So that's the New South Wales Premier, Dominic Perrottet. So three weeks ago, they got the COVID ISO period reduced from seven days down to five. Now they want it gone altogether. Case numbers are down around the country. The seven-day average was up at 20,000 cases in late March. Now it's down at 2,000. That's just in the last week. And removing ISO would bring us into line with other countries like the UK and the US. I think this is a good idea. What do you think, Rihanna? Look, it was bound to happen, wasn't it? Well, it has to happen at some time. I think one of the big problems with this is it basically adds to our staff shortage problem in so many industries. If people are isolating for five days, they can't go to work and that's affecting so many businesses. And you've obviously got to trade that off against the health risks. Yes, this probably will mean a slightly greater spread of COVID, but I think that's something we have to live with at this stage of the pandemic. Yeah. And I guess just keep masking. I guess that's part of the argument actually from Perrottet is we're now in the time of personal responsibility. So If you want to mask up to protect yourself or others, then go for that. Four regions of Ukraine will be annexed by Russia today. It's after sham separation referendums were held earlier this week and Moscow's claiming that between 87 to 99% of residents want to become part of Russia. So it means Russia will take control of about 15% of Ukraine's territory. The UN Secretary-General, as well as Ukrainian and Western officials, have denounced these uh, referendums as illegal, forced and rigged. Any decision to proceed with the annexation of Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson and Zaporizhia, regions of Ukraine, would have no legal value and deserves to be condemned. It cannot be reconciled with the international legal framework. That's the UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres there. This sets up a very difficult situation for the West. If Russia's claiming these territories... What does the rest of the world do? Because Putin's basically set a trap. He's going to claim these as his own territories. And if anyone fights to retain them, he's seeing that as an attack on Russian territory. 
Australian economist Sean Turnell has been sentenced to three years in a Myanmar jail for violating the country's official state secrets act. So Sean Turnell is the Australian uh, economics academic who's been working with the former leader of Myanmar, Aung San Suu Kyi, but he was arrested back in February 2021 in the military coup where the army took over the running of the country. So he's already been detained for 20 months and finally um, he had his day in a closed door secret court and they've given him three years jail. I mean, if there is any silver lining to this is that the military now will be contemplating what next to do with him. And in previous cases where foreigners have been detained in Myanmar, they have pardoned them and then um, deported them. Yeah, that's the former Australian ambassador to Myanmar, Nicholas Capel, on the ABC there. And Penny Wong, the foreign minister, is calling for his immediate release. Yeah, this is a shocking story. I I heard some other people that know Sean Turnell on the radio last night saying, look, it could have been a longer sentence, which would have been worse. And as we just heard from um, that grab there, some people who've been sentenced have then been released to go back to their own country. So there is still some hope that Sean Turnell could get back. He was actually there to lift um, the people of Myanmar out of poverty. So it's a terrible outcome for him. Um, He was actually a tutor at my university back in the day. So I've seen him, met him personally. Everyone's hoping that there's something we can do here. Yeah, and there's still hope, I guess, that maybe he can see out the rest of his sentence in Australia. Mm. Um, But there's so much not known about this case because no one was allowed in. Uh, It's unknown how much of a defence he even got. Um, It's unknown how many documents he was supposed to be trying to leave the country with. And it's um, he was accused of trying to take classified documents out of the country. Um, No one knows what they were. Uh, And so, you know, even the Australian government has come out and said that he should never have been put on trial. Yeah, sad news. One of the sounds of our childhoods, depending how old you are, has passed away. Coolio died at just 59 years old. He died from a cardiac arrest while visiting a friend in LA. And that was the sound of his biggest hit, Gangster's Paradise. What a tune, Rihanna. Yeah, look, it's it's a banger, still is. Was sad to hear this news. Um, definitely maybe your childhood. I was definitely adult when this came out. You're in the clubs already. Uh, I was in the clubs already listening to this stuff. But, you know, for me, look, while Gangsters Paradise is the song and I get it, mm. you know, one best rap performance and all the rest of it, I have a very soft spot for like one, two, three, four and Fantastic Voyage. They're kind of my jams in the middle there. But I did find it interesting that he did pass on the anniversary of a Stevie Wonder song that he actually sampled in Gangster's Paradise, um, which actually had its anniversary the same day that he went. So you're talking about Pastime Paradise? Living in Pastime Paradise. I am. I am. Yeah. The uh, song In the Key of Life debuted 46 years ago at the same time that Coolio, unfortunately, left us and no doubt he'll see you when you get there. <laughs> well, that's his other amazing hit where he sort of also brings in that um, choral element, which I think was one of the things that made his music so, I guess, meaningful and powerful, you know, that church choir kind of vibe because Gangster's Paradise had that really powerful opening line, which is a biblical thing, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, yes. Combine that with a Stevie Wonder vocal in the chorus and you've got, you know, one of the greatest hip-hop hits of all time. He was born in Compton, L.A., um, so he was a genuine 
West Coast rapper. He had that kind of sound where he brought a lot of funk music into his production as well. So, yeah, lots of amazing work there and a, and a sad goodbye. Just a vibe. Total vibe. Speaking of sad goodbyes, we now know um, the official cause of the Queen's death. Old age um, is what we've heard, and we we now know that it was three hours between when she passed and when the rest of us found out. And in other news, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, has given a timeline for the referendum on the Indigenous Voice to Parliament, Rihanna. Yeah, so it appears that it'll be next financial year. Yeah, so we don't have an exact date, but it'll happen within that year. So sometime between July next year and June, um, the year after 2024, kind of obvious when you think about it because any later than that it will get too close to the next election which should happen in 2025 all right rihanna we'll catch you next week antoinette's about to join me as we find out what is going on in iran So in this footage you're listening to now, women on the streets of Iran can be seen burning their hijabs and cutting off their hair in protest. There's been huge demonstrations across the country. and Dozens are dead after clashing with police. And if you're wondering why, well, it started off as solidarity with 22-year-old Mahsa Amini, whose brutal death in police custody over the way she wore the hijab enraged many. But now it's more than just about Massa. Tensions have really escalated, but it's been hard to keep across developments because there's an internet blackout from the government and social media apps aren't working. So let's find out more about it. Naz Almasi is from the Iranian Women's Association. She's also a Kurdish Iranian community member in Australia, where she lives now, but she's actually originally from the same town as Masa Amini. Naz, thank you so much for joining us. What do we know about the arrest of Masa Amini? What actually happened? Masa Amini is a Kurdish Iranian, was a Kurdish Iranian girl. She was only 22 years old. She was arrested by the morality police of Iranian government because she didn't have the proper hijab, they call it, which basically means she had a strand of hair showing, uh, which is a crime in Iran. She was arrested and while in custody, she was hit and all her body was bruised. She was in coma for three days and then she passed away. Even though the government still doesn't accept the blame, they say it was an accident, but it's clear to people that it was um, a murder. So, yeah, the police said that she died of a heart attack and wasn't mistreated, but her family and human rights organisations have cast out on that, that there's hospital photos. Um, is there some evidence that she was beat on the head um, and that her head was banged against vehicles? Yes. Firstly, we have multiple doctors from Iran issuing statements saying the symptoms Massa had uh, were clearly due to injuries to her head. For example, her ear was bleeding before she went into coma, which has nothing to do with a uh, stroke or anything like that. And then secondly, her family has rejected any sort of disease or illness history. So Massa was completely healthy before she went into custody. How did this huge reaction start? The whole demonstrations in Iran are now about something more than Massa. Massa was an innocent girl who was 
murdered by this government. However, these days, Massa is just a symbol. Massa is a symbol for any Iranian women, any Iranian person, children, men, anyone who's been killed, who's been tortured by this government um, and whose rights, whose human rights has been taken from them during the past 45 years under this regime. It's a good point you raise that this has become about more than just Massa's death because the morality piece um, and their power and control over things like women's behaviour, it's not new. Obviously, they've had these powers since the Islamic Revolution in 1979. Why was the reaction to Massa's death different? Well, um, Massa, as I said, isn't the first girl, uh, isn't the first youth who has been killed by this government. I would say the reaction is different these days is because people are done. Uh, it's been 45 years, people are living under poverty, their human rights, their women's rights, even the rights of LGBTQI community has been denied. There are a very, very clear human rights violations happening on daily basis in Iran. That's why this death has just been like a spark for my people to jump on the streets and start raising their voice. And can you give us a, a sense of what actually is is happening on the ground? I know it's difficult because of the internet blackout, but over the last two weeks, how have the protests unfolded? How many cities have they been in? Is there a sense of how many people have been involved, what's been happening at the protests, even how many people have been killed in these protests? The question I often get is, what is the difference between these protests and what you've seen before in Iran? I myself was arrested in 2010 because of attending in one of these big protests. And I can tell you, these protests are very, very different. The reason I say that is because Almost every single city and village is involved. People are rising all over the country. It's not just the capital cities we see people. Uh, we get videos, even though the internet is disconnected. Uh, most people don't have access to Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp. Uh, but we still get videos from even small villages uh, I didn't even know existed. And people are shouting, done with the dictature. So... With that being said, I myself have seen at least 70 to 100 names and photos of those who were killed. And I can tell you, based on my experience, this is only a small portion of those who have been killed. And I want to talk about women's rights in Iran because Iranian women don't experience some of the really invasive restraints on daily life that, say, women in some Arab countries do, like women drive they vote, mm -hmm. understand, contribute to politics and academia. But how far is there still to go? Even though we see on the videos and we keep hearing that women are doing well in Iran, we have the right to drive, we have the right to go around the country and the videos look like everything's fine. But if you deep diver into the laws and into what the government's doing, there are so many things against women's rights that are happening in Iran. I'll just tell you a few examples. For example, a woman, even though she's allowed to get a driver's license and drive, she's not allowed to get custody of her children. Custody is always with a man. Domestic violence is a dream in Iran because it's a given right to men to hit their wives. 
women are not allowed to leave the country without their husband or the father's permission. So that they basically have no right to leave the country. Women are counted as half the men when it comes to giving statements, becoming a witness in court, any legal issues, women are counted as half a man, which means if a woman gets raped by someone and goes to authorities, they don't accept her award because she's only half a person and she needs a man or at least another woman to have witnessed that rape, which is a clear um, violation against women's rights. Now, do you think this big series of protests will pan out any differently to previous rounds of protests? Um, I mean, the first time I remember reporting on this was the 2009 protest, which you touched on before. There was huge backlash on the streets at the heavy-handed Iranian authorities, waves of protests, yeah. internet shutdowns, but ultimately it didn't seem like there was a, a big revolution or, or substantial change, the kind of change that you want to see. So what's going to happen this time? Will it eventually die down and go back to status quo or do you think something's different this time? There is definitely something different, not just one thing. There are a few things different. These protests are not happening just in one or two capital cities. It, they're happening in almost every single village or city across the country. Uh, the second difference I would like to raise is these days people are not scared of the authorities anymore. Uh, we see women, we see children single-handedly uh, going to these officers. Uh, we see these videos every day. It's not just one case. They just go to the these fully armed government officers and just shouting to their face, done with the dictator. Even though some of them get hit, even though some of them get shot in the face and in the head, but people are not scared. It's it's just, they're done with everything that's been happening. Every Iranian person all across the world would love to see a revolution. However, this time is different. If we don't see a big change, we will see a bloodbath in Iran. What would you like the Australian government to do? One of the chants everyone was screaming yesterday was Albanese, don't be quiet. Mullahs are killing in the dark. So that's the number one request we have for the Australian government. They haven't said anything yet. They haven't condemned their actions. We need this. Uh, we need Australian government to condemn their action. We need them to call on the embassies and just question them. Why are these mass murders happening in Iran? When it comes to other politicians, we need all the support we need. We need everyone to be our voice all over the world. Hashtag Massa Amini has been doing amazing. Everyone can feel free to use this hashtag to be our voice. Please write to your local MPs, please write to any politician, anyone in power, to UN, to Red Cross, to anyone you can write to be our voice. We need everyone's support. If you can join us in our protest, please join us. We're in Sydney, town hall every day at 6 p.m., hoping to be our people's voice. We just need support, as much support we can get, because as I said, again, I'm going to repeat this, if we don't get support, Iran's going to become a bloodbath. Gosh, my heart my heart was aching listening to her, Tom. I can only imagine how helpless you feel when you're part of the um, diaspora and you see these images and you hear about 
people you care about being tortured or killed and there's you know so little that you can do about it mm. but a lot of Iranian women I've spoken to feel a little a little let down by Western feminists who aren't necessarily using their voice or their platform to support the women of Iran and they absolutely deserve the support of Western counterparts and yeah we've seen very little evidence of women in Australia or Europe or North America who are willing to take to the streets to show their solidarity yes we heard about those protests but that that's largely um, Iranians who are, who live abroad who are attending those protests and yeah I don't know it just begs the question like are such feminists really advocates of women's rights or if you're only advocating for and protesting if it's a brand of feminism that impacts your daily life because at the moment some of the bravest feminists and women's rights activists are in Afghanistan and Iran and they're coming forward and fighting at a huge cost to resist the Taliban and the Islamic Republic. So I think, you know, women in the West, self-declared feminists, we we need to do a bit more. Stand with Iran's mothers, daughters and sisters. You can speak up, get informed, make a video. I don't know, I'm not going to necessarily suggest you cut your hair. Do that if you want and just really boost female Iranian voices. All right, that is it for your Monday to Friday briefing. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed it, please tell your friends about the briefing. Make sure you subscribe in whichever app you're listening to us. Tomorrow, you'll have the weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who's on this week? Look, this Saturday, I got to speak to Louise Milligan. She is an investigative reporter for the ABC. She does 7.30, she does Four Corners. Her job is to uncover and explore some of the most disturbing and complicated realities of Australian politics and the legal system. She covered the historic sex assault charges against Cardinal George Pell. She covered the rape allegations that were once levelled at former Attorney General Christian Porter. She does the big stuff, the big stories, the kind of stories where royal commissions get called afterwards. This chat was absolutely fascinating and reveals the cost, I suppose, the cost of seeking justice in Australia and also the cost for reporters like Louise Milligan. Yeah, she has had a wild few years, Louise Milligan. Um, Lots of really interesting work on some very contentious stories. Thank you for that, Jamila. Looking forward to it. A big thank you to the hardworking briefing team that make this podcast possible. Have a great weekend. I'll look forward to speaking to you all next week. Listener.